You're listening to Lab Notes, your weekly dose of inspiring innovation. Hello and welcome to Lab Notes. My name is Dr. Leo Stevens, and today it is my privilege to be hosting one of Australia's preeminent chemical engineers here to give us a behind-the-scenes tour of the $174 million research initiative known as the Future Food Systems, CRC. Cordelia Selimulia is an Indonesian-born Australian who began her academic career as an international student studying at the University of New South Wales. Encouraged to take up engineering by a practical and persuasive father, Cordelia found herself increasingly fascinated by the physical and chemical processes that underpin food manufacturing. Over a 14-year tenure at Monash University in Melbourne, Cordelia greatly expanded the institution's connections to the dairy industry, ultimately seeing her promoted to full professor as she steered an international network of dairy research that spanned Australia, China, and the USA. Not only did this connection underpin Cordelia's impressive academic record, but the applied research collaboration was equally important in shaping the dairy industry itself. Indeed, Cordelia's research is often credited with making a key contribution to spray-drying technologies, which are behind long-life dairy powders, a product category that has recently been a major growth area in Australia's international exports. Now back at her alma mater at the University of New South Wales, Cordelia is bringing this extensive experience in industry engagement to the fore as she helps the Future Food Systems CRC rethink the way we grow, process, and export a huge variety of food and nutritional products. Professor Cordelia Selimulia, welcome to Lab Notes. Thank you, Leo. So we like to start our interviews with a bit of an elevator pitch for your current role. What can you tell us about your work at UNSW and with the Future Food Systems CRC? My work at the Future Food Systems CRC, so I'm their research and commercialization director. What I'm doing here essentially is to put together a strategy so that we can work closely with our industry partners, together with the research partner, which is essentially the university involved in the CRC, and also to look at potential for utilization of those outputs. So we want the research to have impact in the commercial area, but also utilization of those research outcomes. So it's not just merely doing research for research sake, but we will actually want to transform the sector. Uh, we want to, to improve uh, the capacity for production in this area. Um, obviously, we still have a lot of challenges. And, and also just to see how best we can work together uh, in this space. Fantastic. And we'll, we'll definitely return to the CRC mm. and your research portfolio. But I'd also like to give our audience a sense of the person behind the science. Uh, can we take a look back at your personal history then too? I understand you're of Indonesian heritage and you lived there the yep. whole way through high school with your parents, I think Kai and Janine. What can you tell us about your, your childhood in Indonesia? So, yeah, uh, my childhood in Indonesia, we grew up in Jakarta. So that's the capital of Indonesia. Neither of my parents are actually engineers. My dad is a businessman. Uh, my mom was a dentist. You know, when, when we grew up, a school is very important. Education is always very important. So I'm pretty good in, you know, maths and physics and chemistry, uh, probably what you call high-performing student <laughs> when, when I was growing up. Yeah, it's a, it's a happy childhood. Um, education is very important. So we put a lot of emphasis on education um, and also uh, other activities outside school. But, um, but pretty much, you know, we, we put a lot of value on, on education. 
And yeah, the family influence on your education seems to be very important. I understand your father in particular had an influence in, I guess, guiding your selection of engineering as a career path and also in getting you enrolled at the University of New South Wales as an international student. Can you tell us that story of how you came to be in Australia studying engineering? Mm. Yes. So my dad was a businessman. He works in uh, pharmaceutical companies, actually, but as their marketing manager and then director. So my dad was here at, on a business trip to Sydney in Australia, and he came to University of New South Wales and just to see, like, you know, what a degree are on offer. At that time, um, I wasn't really sure what I want to do. In high school, I did pretty well in maths, physics, chemistry. I don't really like biology that much. So being a doctor, like medical doctors, definitely out of the questions. One thing that uh, I actually was interested at that time was to do something to do with environment. So it's like maybe environmental science or environmental engineering. But at that time, UNSW doesn't really offer, didn't really offer that degree. So the uh, other closest thing that they do have was chemical engineering. And because I like chemistry, I like inorganic chemistry. So my dad talked to the admission people there and asked them, you know, can my daughter come and do the degree here? And initially they say no, because during that time, if you want to come to an Australian university from overseas, you actually have to do what they call a foundation study. So you can't just go straight from high school to uni. But my dad was not, not arguing, but kind of discussing, you know, very politely with them uh, to say that, oh, but my daughter, she graduated number one in her class. And if she was to go to the U.S., then they, she can go to their university straight away. Why did Australia has this rule that you have to go through foundation before you go to uni? So I think at the end, maybe because of his negotiation skill, uh, the, the university admission let me in at that time uh, without having to do foundation, which is great. So I can go straight from high school to their first year. And uh, because I end up also when I graduated, I was top of my class. So I think that decision was proven to be correct in terms of allowing me to go through the program without having to go through uh, the foundation system or uh, repeating uh, essentially final year of high school. Yes, I'm pretty sure UNSW is glad that they took you on as an international student. Cordelia, you've done very well ever since. And I guess one of the next steps in that journey was your PhD, which you did do at UNSW. Your thesis was titled The Effect of Shear on Flocculation. Now, I don't want to go, I guess, into the details of this science, but I do want to ask you about your relationship with your supervisor, mm. Professor Rose Amel, because, yep. you know, as much as anything, a PhD journey is about that bond between a supervisor and their student. And particularly as a female scientist, I've heard you speak about the value of having her as a role model. What can you tell me about Rose and the role she played in your PhD experience? Yes. Yeah, so essentially, the reason why I got into PhD in the first place was uh, when, when I was doing um, chemical engineering undergraduate, we have to do industrial placement or industrial training. You can also do research training or research project. So I remember um, because I had Rose as one of the lecturer in my class second year. And I remember just emailing her out of the blue one summer and said that I'm interested in a research project. And I got a reply back straight away from her and say, oh, you know, come and, and see me in my office, uh, etc. So I, I did come to her office and we had a chat and she had a project at that time looking at water treatment, removing chromium from uh, water using activated carbon. So I still remember very well that project because that was my first research project. So I ended up working with her in the lab. And at that time, you know, Rose thinks he was still a senior lecturer. So she's still pretty junior as well in the school. And I have zero lab experience, but uh, so but but then uh, that experience actually get my curiosity up 
for research because you know I can I can do something hands on and getting results and we actually managed that, uh, to get those results published in the paper and I also managed to go to a conference in New Zealand uh, so Rose took me to that conference in New Zealand which is really nice and I think all those experience kind of like um, making me think about oh research actually can be fun because you can do things that uh, actually have results you can talk about your result you can present your result and so on and and of course rose being a female scientist i can also see there's a part in that because uh, she's obviously now very very successful scientist and researcher but even at that time when she was still junior you can see the uh, excitement the curiosity when you get result that is uh, working very well or if, even if it's unexpected you know you can still uh, try to understand and explain the, those results um, so after that experience, which is a three months uh, research project that I did with Rose, and then she has project um, with the CRC actually. <laughs> so it's a CRC for water treatment. So that a PhD project that was sponsored by the CRC at that time. Um, and she asked if I'm interested in that. And that's how I end up doing that particular topic of thesis as a PhD project. So yeah, it's, it's a, it is a full circle because my PhD project was sponsored by a CRC and then I'll end up working also with a CRC. So that might be a nice kind of a full, full circle kind of moment. Yeah, that's great, Cordelia. You definitely have come full circle. And towards the end of this interview, I'll get some of your perspectives on how you're mentoring the next generation of researchers. But there's a few more stepping stones on your journey to becoming the professor that you are now. I think straight out of your PhD, you had a, a one-year fellowship at the University of Leeds and then another couple of years doing a postdoc position back at the University of New South Wales. But really, the majority of your career has been spent at Monash University in Melbourne. And it's kind of here that you rose through the ranks from lecturer to associate professor to full professor and ended up managing quite a large applied research program. And this sort of career trajectory is something that a lot of young scientists aspire to, but the success rates are pretty low. I think only about 3% of PhD graduates end up as full professor. Can you reflect on that journey at Monash and I guess what made you successful at building your academic career? Um, I think uh, looking back, I would say being open to opportunities. When I came to Monash, obviously I came as a lecturer, so that's uh, the, the lowest rank, <laughs> very junior rank. Uh, I didn't have any student, so it just started very small. And um, because my previous research was all in uh, flocculation, water treatment and so on, when I came to Monash, one of the uh, opportunity that was open to me at that time was in 2017, there was a much more senior staff member. He, he was also quite new to the department at that time, but he was hired as a professor. He got a big grant from uh, dairy industry. And the, because the grant is very big, one of the sub-project was looking at the dissolution of milk protein in water. So then he came to me and said that, are you interested to look after this project? It's a small project, but it's, you know, it's looking at powders dissolving, which is essentially when you think about aggregation, it's the other way around, right? The, the methods is kind of similar. You can use similar methods to look at how particle behave in suspension. And although I don't have any background in, in dairy, it's essentially uh, applying similar tools, similar understanding. So I took on that project and that becomes one of the first project that I supervise, a PhD project that I supervise uh, at Monash. Uh, and essentially that grew because then after that, my senior colleague uh, left Monash, but we still have all this work that have to be done in this uh, space. And I managed to grow that work into a, a much bigger project. We, we work with 
other companies as well, uh, looking at dairy powders, how they behave, how they produce, you know, what are the properties that we want to look at and so on. So I guess when, when I look back and I can see that what I was doing at Monas at that time was essentially uh, responding to the opportunity that, that is available, but also applying what I knew from my previous project to this completely new area and just trying to grow from there. Because at the end of the day, we all have skills that we can actually apply in other places as well. So I think that's a combination of few factors. And of course, you know, there's a lot of challenges along the way, but that actually helps to just be more open to that as well. And yeah, as you say, you've worked with a lot of impressive industry partners mm. through that dairy work, groups like Bega and Fonterra. Mm. And, and, you know, if you Google Cordelia, uh, you generally find you're referred to as, you know, an expert in spray drying technologies. Can you tell us about that spray drying and I guess how it found its place in the industry as a result of your work? Uh, yeah, so spray drying, essentially, it's a, a process that has been used in many, many industries. And in the dairy industry, that's probably one of their main uh, unit operation because uh, in Australia, especially, they we make a lot of milk powders that we uh, export overseas. The process itself is very well known and has been commercially applied in many industries. But what is still quite a challenge is how we can actually make the powders to the properties that we want or the ideal properties. Because especially if the formulation change, that means that uh, the powder property might change and then we need to make some adjustment. So essentially, that's what we did with some of these companies, uh, obviously working on the powder uh, side of things to understand how their formulation might change and how it's going to affect their powders. But even now, we can also see other applications. So before this meeting, I was actually talking to another of our industry partner here um, in University of New South Wales, and they're making uh, spray-dried magnesium powders and essentially um, trying to make pure magnesium uh, and or, or highly uh, purified magnesium through a spray-drying process, which they never done before. So we can see that this same unit operation, which, which is available industrially and also at different scale, we can still work with formulation, uh, new formulation or new product, and we still need to understand how they are formed and also uh, what powders that we get at the end, but it can be applied across uh, other industry as well. Fantastic. And I, I have one final question from your time at Monash before we get into the CRC in detail. Mm -hmm. The last four years of your tenure there, you were serving as the director of a program called the Australia-China Joint Research Centre in Future Dairy Manufacturing. You yourself have spent some time in China holding a position mm -hmm. as adjunct professor of chemical mm -hmm. engineering at Suchow University, mm -hmm. uh, which is quite close to Shanghai, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yes. Can I ask you how this research collaboration formed and, and what in, importance you place on that cross-cultural exchange in supporting a trusting relationship between Australia and China? Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that, that uh, collaboration obviously doesn't happen overnight. It did happen because of a relationship that has been formed before. So in 2013, I was selected as one of the Australia-China Young Researcher. Uh, so this is a program that was sponsored by the Australian government. And I think the Chinese government also sponsors similar program. Essentially, it's an exchange program. There's a bunch of us from Australia that were sent to, to China for a few weeks so that we can actually set up new collaboration and, and of course, visited places that maybe we haven't visited before and try to find some, you know, like uh, if there's any uh, collaboration that can be developed. So that was uh, kind of one of the impetus for this partnership. So during that program in two weeks, I visited a few places, uh, Suzhou University being one of them. 
And in future, there, there was my collaborator there that I knew from before. And obviously, we got to talking and we uh, talk about, you know, what is the other potential partnership that we can, we can work together. So that led to this joint program, the Australia-China uh, Joint Research Center. Uh, and that particular center is quite rewarding to run, I, I must say, because uh, we work with Australian industry partners here. Uh, and our uh, Chinese counterpart also work with the, with the industry partners, but we also have very strong link uh, across. During the four years of that center, we run symposium or workshop and we take turns. So one year in Australia and uh, the next year will be in China and so on. Uh, the biggest one that we run was in 2018, where we run a symposium that the team was cheese. So we have cheese symposium in Beijing. And essentially, we invited, you know, the industry partners from Australia. So a company like Biga and Fonterra, we have the uh, wine and cheese exhibition. Uh, wine Australia was involved, uh, contributing some of their really nice Australian wines. We also invited a few of our, our friends from the uh, French uh, Agricultural uh, Institute there, because obviously, you know, when we talk about cheese, we, <laughs> we have to invite the French. So, so it's, it's a, it becomes such a nice forum for everyone to just uh, get together and, and talk to, uh, about other things besides research, but also building that network um, and, and partnership as well. And has that, I guess, relationship been able to be maintained as the relationship between Australia and China has been quite difficult and tense mm. over the last five years? Um, I think at the end of the day, you know, obviously we have personal relationship that we have and they, they, they become more than just professional. It, it, it's more like friendship. Yeah? So we, we maintain those relationships because they, you know, we, we know them, we trust them and, and they do the same to us as well. Uh, and I must say that when, when I visited China, they always treat us really, really nicely, very, very friendly. You know, they, they treat us uh, really well. And, and I guess, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we, we still we collaborate with them. You know, scientific collaboration is still uh, ongoing. And I think we can keep politics out of it because essentially what we what we want to have is um, understanding um, if we want to, to learn new, new things. Um, some of the facility that are not available here, we are able to as assess those facility. And of course, you know, that uh, interaction in terms of the, the scientific interaction is still uh, ongoing as well. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, it's it's uh, something that we you know, we, we would like to, to see happening even uh, to the future because that's uh, science that will help um, the science to move forward. Great, thanks Cordelia. Well, let's leave dairy and indeed Monash University behind us for now because in 2019, you, you moved back to UNSW and took on this new role, your current role as the Director of Research and Commercialization for the Future Food Systems, CRC. And to give our audience a sense of this CRC, maybe a good place to start is to talk about the three research themes that the CRC is following. Can you tell us what those three themes are and perhaps why they were selected? Yeah. Um, so the, the CRC is future food system. So essentially looking at food production as a system because food production is very interconnected. It encompasses three programs. So the first program is looking at food hubs. Uh, essentially, the idea there is that Australia being a major exporter of food products, a lot of product that we export overseas, unfortunately, it's still in the low commodity values. So we want to shift that to more premium or added value. 
And one way to do that is by understanding how we can plan food cluster or food hub where the production from the beginning until the final step before export can be done in a much more efficient way. And we can already see example of that happening overseas in, in, in many places. Australia is, of course, a very unique because of our climate, but also our geographical um, distribution as well. So the idea for that program is to identify where in Australia will be area where maybe the, the existing food clusters can be made even stronger, but also where are the potential area where we can actually have a new food hub or food cluster. So this will require a lot of input and also participation from different stakeholders, as you can imagine. Uh, the second program looking at indoor cropping because with climate change and uh, also if we want to improve up the productivity of our production in terms of high value crops, then indoor cropping will be one way to go about it. And we want to look at things like automation, maybe vertical cropping and, and others. Um, and I think this has been brought even more into the spotlight because of the pandemic, where, where we can see a lot of things will be better if they can be automated or will be much more um, efficient if they can be run without a lot of humans kind of being in a small space. So, so there's a, a lot of focus on that, uh, indoor cropping. And then the last program is looking at precision nutrition and also looking at functional uh, added value products. So premium food product means that it's a, it has, it's a food product that will be nutritious, but also we know where they come from in terms of um, the traceability uh, and also the added value that comes with the health benefits and others as well. How do we produce this product? How do we actually um, uh, quantify those uh, benefits? So it's not just uh, claims that just been made without any uh, scientific background, but it has, has to be something that we can actually trace, we can, uh, we can analyze, we can show exactly what they are. And, and of course, quality assurance will be involved in that sector if we want to put this forward as an added value premium product. So those three programs, very ambitious and also quite wide ranging, but that was kind of the pillar of this CRC because we want to look at food production as an entire system and it's not just in isolation from, from the other factors. Yeah, incredible. I mean, that's obviously a very broad overview and it probably gives the audience a sense of what a diverse range of programs this is. It's spanning industries and geographies and institutions. How do you maintain a, a sense of community and common purpose across the CRC with such a diverse range of stakeholders? Mm. So, yeah, especially during this, this COVID time, uh, it was challenging because of obviously travel has been very limited. Uh, at the same time, you know, technology is a wonderful thing. So everyone uh, find out about Zoom and, and, you know, all the online tools and that helped to bring people together. So the CRC was established in uh, late 2019. Uh, that was just before COVID. Um, we did have a few workshops across different parts. So we have one in Mandura, in Perth. We have one in Western Sydney. We have one also in um, Brisbane, uh, in QUT. So at that time, we, we did manage to have face-to-face -face meeting at all these different places, which kind of helped to bring people together. Uh, after COVID happens, of, of course, that wasn't possible anymore, but we did have online meeting and that uh, has been working very well. We managed to have our showcase, uh, research showcase uh, last year and also this year. And that helped to show what we have been doing in the past uh, year in terms of some of the project. 
Uh, we have newsletter. We also send email updates and so on. That kind of helps to let people know, you know, what's going on with the CRC and and also with our partners. So the uh, the news that is in that newsletter is not just about the CRC, but also uh, what our partners is doing because that's we want to promote that as well. So that's kind of um, uh, helps to kind of uh, bring people together because then when they see, um, you know, um, one partners is doing something that may be quite relevant to to that. So we uh, we managed to kind of connect them together, so they they they, they form that connection, um, which is uh, based on common interests uh, because of what they they are doing, uh, even outside the CRC. Yeah, great. And look, I know your role is is the director of research and commercialization. I think we've touched on the research themes there, but mm -hmm. I'd love to talk about that other aspect of your mm -hmm. role as well. How do you go about shaping the commercialization and entrepreneurial agenda of the CRC and ensuring this amazing applied research ends up making an impact? Um, yes, that's a, that's a very good question. And it's something that we try to do together with our industry partners. So essentially the way that our CRC work is that each of the project will have an industry partners, which is the main lead of the project. And that uh, commercialization or utilization pathways has to be very clear. Which makes sense because when the industry partner is the one who, who leads it and also the one that invests in it, they obviously want to see commercialization uh, happening or even uh, utilization of the outcome. Um, at the same time, we also have strategy that we want to put in place in terms of utilization of research outcome. It's not always in the form of commercialization because I guess in some project, it can be very clear cut. We have a company and the company wants to use the outcomes for their product. That's very clear cut and we have a number of examples of projects in that space. But we also have other projects where we have stakeholders that are government stakeholder, for example. And what we want to see from that is how the outcome from that particular project is going to be useful for um, attracting further investment, for example. If we're talking about, you know, planning food cluster, one thing that we want to see is that uh, the, the result of that planning is going to be something that's going to attract uh, potential investors to that area because essentially that's what that's what the planning um, is supposed to to do or supposed to deliver. So it will be depending on the project as well. But we also have a strategy uh, as a CRC to help to understand the needs from each of the uh, stakeholder and how best we can facilitate that utilization of the research outcome which is going to be very closely related to that particular industry partners. Uh, others may be more a common good kind of outcome where multiple partners or multiple stakeholders can see the utilization pathways for that particular uh, outcome. Yeah, and look, you've only been running for a couple of years and it's been mm -hmm. COVID disrupted, but you mm -hmm. are making some great progress on that front. You mentioned the research showcase and I was lucky enough to be invited. So thank you for letting me see that breadth of work. A few things that stood out to me, there was a startup called Leaf that was making mm. high-tech light filters for greenhouses. There's a team working on blockchain systems to build trust in international trade, a group investigating artificial pollination, and, and I think mm. you mentioned the, the spray-drying group mm. for magnesium out in the Pilbara. Mm -hmm. Are any of these standouts for you or things that you see on the horizon that, that will be you know, a shining outcome from the CRC? Are you allowed to pick mm. favourites? <laughs> uh, yes, uh, I think there's a, a few examples there that you mentioned, which is uh, very exciting. And that's the reason why we also want to showcase them. Uh, so the LEAF one is very exciting because it was a startup that was started at UNSW. So as the speaker Alex mentioned, that um, that's uh, stemmed from his PhD and his postdoc research to become this company that then worked with Western Sydney University to, to look at how the, the film that they produce can be used in the glass houses. And that essentially will help 
you know the growing of of some of some of the crops. So that's very exciting. Um, the uh, the spray drying one it's also very exciting because this is a company. So Ecomac is a company that produces highly purified magnesium from the salt mine in the Pilbara. Uh, essentially taking a waste product and making them into high value product, which is really what we want to see because it's a circular economy where you take waste product into high value product and then putting them into uh, health products, supplements, and so on. So this company uh, was looking at spray drying as a method to produce their highly purified magnesium because previously they were using uh, web chemistry, which is uh, take uh, a number of steps and also not maybe not the most efficient methods because you need to separate product from the solvent and so on. Uh, so they turn to us, uh, they work with us and, and uh, using a spray dryer that we have here at UNSW, a, a small pilot scale dryer. And the result has been really promising. Now they, they're getting a, a bigger dryer uh, because they're building a pilot plant and they're also going to build a new manufacturing plant. Uh, the, the magnesium that they produce, it's highly purified magnesium that goes into um, supplements and also uh, health product that now has gone into the U.S. market. So they have contract with uh, Walgreen uh, CVS to produce this uh, magnesium product because I think magnesium now it's become trendy in terms of <laughs> in this space uh, to help people to sleep and, and also with psoriasis and, and uh, muscle uh, fatigue and so on. So the product has been in high demand and to see that this is happening in, in the sense that the outcome from this uh, research uh, looking into using spray drying and these powders will then go into product that are going to be in the market in the US and, and also in other parts of the world. Um, and the demand has been uh, really high so that now they actually have to scale up their production uh, very quickly. Uh, I think that's, that's quite satisfying to see because we can see the utilization happening um, in, in real time almost. Fantastic, Cordelia. That's a, that's a great case study. Um, unfortunately, we're, we are running out of time, but before we go, I do want to ask you one final question, and it ties back into what you mentioned earlier about the kind of mentoring and the, the, the roles that that can play. I'm sure across the CRC, there's now many young researchers who are looking to you for support and guidance as they build their careers, and in many cases, aspiring to translate their research uh, into real-world applications. What advice are you giving to these entrepreneurial researchers to help them make the most of their time working as part of the CRC? Um, what I will advise is be open to opportunities and also um, build your network because I think that's very important. Uh, stay curious because maybe what they're doing now is for one particular application, but there might be other opportunities that are going to be open in other applications. Uh, being aware of that uh, is very important. Another thing is, of course, when we think about research, we want to think about where are the potential applications for this particular knowledge. And again, sometimes what we did may be just answering a small part of that particular questions, but it still is going to be very useful in the, uh, in the long run. So yes, stay open to new, new opportunities, develop your network, your professional network. Um, you know, going to conferences, I found is always very useful because then you hear about ideas, you hear about other people talking about their work and maybe that could inspire something that you want to do as well because you might never think about that particular issue before, but listening to that can, can also help to you know, develop your, your new ideas as well. And of course, learn to communicate your ideas as well. And again, you know, talking in a conference or uh, presenting your research is always very important too because then you get other people to know about what you're doing uh, as well. Well, that's great advice, Cordelia, and I think I can hear some researchers in the front row taking notes. 
So thank you so much for your time today and sharing those amazing insights. It's been an absolute pleasure having you here on the Lab Notes podcast. Thank you, Leo. Well, that's all we can fit into Lab Notes for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. If you're keen to hear more inspiring stories of innovation, check out our back catalogue and subscribe to the channel so new episodes can appear on your device once a week. Lab Notes is produced by Eon Labs in collaboration with Rennie Digital. You can find links to both of those organisations, along with our guests' biography and more in the description below. Our music is sourced from Purple Planet Music and mixed by Nat Harris. I'm your host, Dr. Leo Stevens. Until next week, keep inventing.